Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. Pray with me. Father, I come to you now, and I just ask that your hand would be on me. Father, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would give me the strength that I need to say what message you've laid on my heart, Father, that I could just speak clearly and plainly your word, your truth. I pray, Father, for all of us that are listening because I say us because I'm listening too, Father. But I pray that each and every one of us would have our minds and our hearts open. God, that we would listen to what you have to say as you speak through your Holy Spirit, through your word. And I pray, Father, that you would just give us the courage and the strength that we need to just humble ourselves and to listen, to not come in with our preconceived ideas, but to listen to you and to submit to you, not to just be hearers of your word, but to be doers of your word. Love you, Father, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, before I get into uh, the message, uh, I just want to take a second. We don't talk about numbers a whole lot, but last week was a really good Sunday for us attendance-wise. We had over 100 people here in person, and that, that was awesome. Um, and uh, I think, you know, I think uh, people were so exhausted from that, they took off this Sunday. <laughs> but uh, I'm sorry, I, I have to make jokes. I have to make jokes. Uh, but we had a great, we've been averaging around the 90s for most of the summer, which is really, really good. Uh, and we're excited. We don't focus just on numbers, but numbers are people. And we care about people. And so we want as many people as possible to hear the gospel uh, and to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And that's what we're all about. We're not just about um, being comfortable just having a few people here. We want everybody in our community, everybody in our world. We call it our neighborhood because according to what Jesus said, everybody's our neighbor. We want everybody to know Jesus. And so that's why we uh, celebrate something like that. Have you ever had a cheap knockoff of something? It just didn't add up or measure up. Um, you know, I grew up, you know, from time to time we would have uh, name brand things, but sometimes we would get generic stuff. And most of the time, the generic stuff is just as good as the name brand, right? Half the time it's probably made in the same factory and they just slap a different thing and they don't charge as much because they don't have all the marketing fees. But sometimes, sometimes the copy is not as good as the original. I've got a few pictures I think that should be coming up here. I'm going to show you a few that just don't measure up. Look closely. Y'all notice the top there, the name? Sam Snug. Sam Snug. So if you ever go and try to save stuff on your computer, make sure it's not Sam Snug because there ain't no telling where that stuff's going to end up. It's going to end up, you know, some hacker's computer somewhere. I don't know. But anyway, so Sam Snug. All right, that one? Some of y'all know what the problem with that is. Others of y'all are like, I don't know. It's just an ugly sweater. But it's got Garfield, but that's what characters are those? Angry Birds. Right, right, right. Okay. Hoed and shouters. I'm thinking you're still gonna have dandruff after that. I don't know, but that's uh, all right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I never said I was mature. Uh, I just I had to put that one up. Little did I know, Mike. With what looks like a swan. It looks like a swan instead of the Nike check. Um, all right. 
in their defense, that's what I'll be doing if it was that close to me too. I would be hitting it with some kind of hammer. Um, but I think that's supposed to be of Lakata, or I guess that's how you say it. And uh, Polo, right? All right. That doesn't match. All right, let's go. There's always an argument between Star Trek and Star Wars. Well, I think this is the perfect solution, right? Star World and whatever that is. Oh, and some of, some of you that are older might not know. I'm still in the know. This is supposed to be supreme, but you flip it over and surprise, it's not what you thought it was going to be. So you overpaid. All right. <laughs> I like this one too. <laughs> underarms. Yeah. Sometimes your underarms are your best protection. I'll just say that. It keeps people off of you. And then this one. The movie's out right now, Pubescent Frog of Silent War. I was like, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I think that's the last one. Um, but uh, are there any more? That's it. Um, sometimes, though, the knockoffs aren't quite up to par, and they don't measure up. They don't really come through in a pinch. And, you know, those are a few examples. But I want to ask you, what keeps modern Christianity from really looking like the early church and experiencing the kind of growth and the kind of change and the kind of impact that the early church had? What, what do you think it is? You know, there's a lot of different reasons. Um, depending on how you grew up, depending on, you know, if you're more on the traditional side I grew up hearing this kind of thing a lot of times when I was younger. People say, oh, uh, you know, it's modern worship and it's, uh, you know, videos and all that sort of stuff. That's what's keeping the modern church from being. But I would argue with you a little on that. I'd say no, because the early church was all about innovation. I mean, they were making it up as they went, so to speak, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so they used what tools came to their advantage. And so I think that if they had the technology that we had, they would have used whatever to help get the gospel message out. So I don't think that that's it. I I don't think that it's we've got, uh, you know, a, a dedicated building or this or that, which, you know, we rent a building, but you know what I'm saying. I don't think it's that. I think the difference is I believe that we have to respond and relate to God in the same way that they did. And I believe that a lot of times in the modern church, and I'm using that big C church, like, you know, universal, I think a lot of times people don't respond and relate to God like the early church. They might think they are, but they haven't really dug in because if we're being truthful and honest, I think most of us could kind of take a step back and look. And I would describe the culture, even in the big C church, to be biblical illiteracy. You know, a lot of people just don't know their Bible. They don't read their Bible. And I believe because of that, we're at a disadvantage. They don't, we don't know the scripture and what God's trying to say to us. And so I believe the truth is this. For the kingdom of God to be unleashed, just like it was in the early church, for it to have the power to change the world, the Holy Spirit had to provide that power on the day of Pentecost and for the beginning of the church and through the church history. But I believe many times we don't rely on the power of the Holy Spirit as we don't dig into God's word. And in the beginning of the early church, that emphasis, the, the Holy Spirit showed up in, in very visual ways, you know, with on the day of Pentecost, we're gonna get into in just a second, and the speaking of tongues, and they healed people, and they did all these sorts of things. And the point of those things, the point of those miraculous gifts was one thing. It was to confirm the message that Jesus was the Christ and that these people that were teaching and preaching and sharing this message, they were messengers from God. Because what we've got to understand is, is that the message is what's most important. Am I right? 
The message of the gospel is what's most important. And so, but those, those gifts were needed to confirm the message. And there was a, a massive paradigm shift that's not to be taken lightly. Because these gifts, they, they broke past language barriers. So anybody and everybody could understand the gospel message. And there was no written Christian scriptures yet. They had the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, if you will, the, the Hebrew Bible. But they didn't yet quite have the Christian scriptures yet. And so the Scripture was being delivered through the mouth of the apostles and the New Testament prophets. And so God showed up in a big way in that. They, as we said, they got attention so people would listen to the message, as in Acts 2, and also as, as points out very clearly in Acts chapter 10. They drew attention and said, these are accepted. These people are accepted. So what do we learn? What do we learn from the first preaching of the gospel in the first response to the gospel. If we want to respond to God the way that the early church did, if we want to see the church unleashed, the kingdom unleashed, what do we see in the first time the gospel was ever preached in Acts chapter 2? If you got your Bibles, you can turn into Acts chapter 2. The scripture is going to be on the screen, but you can follow along on your Bible or on your phone if you'd like. We're going to begin in chapter uh, 2 verse 1, and it says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, one thing that's important to note here is that these tongues were, were known languages, and we're going to see that very clearly here in just a moment, but they began to speak in these other languages that they were not trained in or prepared in. They did not have Duolingo, and I hate to break it to you, but Duolingo, I, I, I was going to say Duolingo is failing me, but I'm failing Duolingo because I'm not learning, I'm not putting in the work, but they didn't have those kind of tools, and so they were able to speak in these other languages miraculously. Verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered. Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished. And they were saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And it goes on to list some of the, the, the nations and the areas that were represented, and therefore the languages, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. It's a powerful moment when you've got these 12 apostles standing up and speaking. And if you count out, there's actually more than 12 regions or languages that are listed there. And everybody that was there was able to hear in their own, what I would like to call their own heart language. You know, many of them would have known Greek. Greek was a common language. If you wanted to trade or do business, you kind of needed to know Greek. And so a lot of them would have known that. But regardless of whether they understood Greek or not, they were able to hear the message in their own heart language, just the, the language where they were born and raised with. And I'm telling you, that that's, hits different from what I understand, you know, to, to be able to hear in the language that you are. There's no language barrier there. It's delivered clearly. And it says in verse 12, 
And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Remember the, the gift there was to draw attention to the message and they're like, huh, what's going on? This is pretty powerful. What does this mean? Look there in verse 13. But others mocking said. Now, real quick, that's just a good little rule of thumb there. If anything good is ever happening, there are going to be people that are going to mock it, right? You know, it's just the nature of life. But here's what they say. They are filled with new wine. That's a really pretty way of saying what? They're drunk. They are drunk, they are drunk, they are drunk. And I'm telling you what, this is early in the morning. Now, I've heard of day drinking, but this is like 9 a.m. I mean, you've been, you've been working hard is all I'm going to say if you're drunk at this point. But here's what Peter says in verse 14. But Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk. As you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And, and forgive me, but for sake of time, in verses 17 through 20, he talks about in the last days, this prophecy of Joel, about people are going to have visions and dream dreams and do all these things. And, and he says, here's what's going on through the Spirit, signs and wonders. And in verse 21, this is what's really, really, really we want to focus on. It says, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For most of us, most of us, especially if you've been in church a little bit, or maybe, you know, being raised possibly in the United States or in another country that has a strong faith basis to hear that, I mean, it's nice, but does it really resonate but to the people that were there on that day to hear that was that was like whoa okay what's going on here everybody because to these good jewish people they had had ingrained in their minds and whether they understood what had really been taught them or not they had in their brains that they were the chosen people and the only way to become one of the chosen people is to align yourself with them and so they thought everybody else is just messed up they're out of luck and so to hear this, that everyone, most of them probably heard everyone that is Jewish. <laughs> it's probably how they heard it. It's probably how they interpret it. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this, my friends, is so key. The, the gifts were powerful, and there was a point to them, and they were necessary. It drew the attention. It made people ask what's going on. But the important thing is what? This message that everyone who calls on the name of Jesus can be saved. Everyone, not just Jews, but Gentiles too. Now, I would say that's probably good news for most of us. Most of us in here probably have a Gentile lineage. And so that's very good news to know that we too can be saved. It was mind-blowing at the time that it was first preached here in Acts chapter 2, back in around 33 AD. And the point is this. This new kingdom was being unleashed. It was different. And I can't say it enough. Everyone is invited. Everyone is invited. 
And in our culture today, that might not seem that earth-shattering, that groundbreaking, but I tell you, I, I tell you to trust me, at this time it was the church is for everyone. Everyone is invited. It's not about white churches. It's not about black churches. It's not about Hispanic churches. It's not about Asian churches. It's not about fill in the blank. It's about the church, the kingdom that everyone is invited into. Amen? That's what it's all about. One family of God in every single one of us, no matter what our skin tone is, no matter what our background is, is invited to be a part of the family of God, this kingdom that's being unleashed. And Peter's going on and he's telling this, and man, I, I guarantee you that some of the people, probably most of the people were pumped up. They were probably thinking like, yeah, woo! You know what I mean? They were like, I don't know what the equivalent in first century of woo is, I don't, I don't know. But wowless, I don't know, whatever. But then he takes a little bit of a turn. And you ever had that happen when there's good news, good news, good news, but then the, what happens? The big butt. The big butt comes. And you're like, oh man, don't, don't laugh at that. Grow up. I'm just kidding. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> but the butt comes. Verse 22, he changes the tone a little bit. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed, or excuse me, uh, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So he's going on, he's telling this good news. Everybody decided, man, the kingdom's for everybody, for everybody. Everybody can be saved. Woo, that's exciting. And then, but. Jesus, that you and wicked men killed. And I'm telling you, it, it was an earth-shattering moment. Peter was saying that God proved who Jesus was by these miracles and these signs and these wonders. And then what he says next that we're going to read here in just a second, essentially what Peter's saying is that God is proving these apostles, including Peter, that are speaking as being sent by God as well by miracles and signs and wonders that drew their attention, right? He's saying, important, listen to what we've got to say to you. Look at verse 32. This Jesus God raised up, and all of that, and of all that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. He's saying, Listen to us, God God acknowledged Jesus by miracle signs and wonders. He's acknowledging us as his messengers by miracle signs and wonders. Look at verse 34. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. I don't always get real deep down into Greek, but I'm going to break down some Greek for you today. This phrase that he just delivered to them in the Greek translates literally rut row. <laughs> or as I would like to say, you done messed up, A.A. Ron. That, and some of y'all get that, some of y'all don't. <laughs> 
I'm sorry, I caught you off guard there. But what he's saying is what? What is he saying? You thought that you were God's chosen and holy special people, but what I'm saying to you is you have killed the Son of God, the Messiah that you've waited for for thousands of years. You killed him. You are an enemy of God, and that is a powerful, condemning message. It is, the, the mood went from, wow, this is exciting, this is cool, to, oh no. Oh no. What have we done? And the problem is, is it wasn't just the people that were there that day. Guess who else delivers the, or, or receives the brunt of that message? All of us. All of us had a hand in the crucifixion of Jesus because it was his sin that held us or held, uh, that was our sin that held him to the cross. And so this is a, a change in the tone and everything is just sort of falling apart. And we have to realize, just like they had to realize that we are enemies of God without Jesus as Lord and Savior of our lives. And look at verse 37. They realize it, and here's where there's proof. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? In just a matter of moments, they thought that they were riding high as God's chosen people. They were celebrating this feast of Pentecost, of God's provision and his goodness. And then all of a sudden, they go from, from up high to saying, We killed the Son of God. What shall we do? It says they were cut, they were pricked, they were stabbed down to the heart, and they're like, what? This is frantic, y'all. Sometimes when we read words on the page in Scripture, we just think of them as that. It's just words on a page. But these people were terrified because they understood who God was. They understood, I mean, the, the panic sets in. The, the sad fact is, is that now, a lot of times in modern times, we don't have a healthy fear of God. But the hearers of this message for the very first time that day, they had a healthy fear of God. They had been taught for their entire lives that only one person, one time of year, could even enter into the presence of the holy place, the holy of holies of God, and that he did it with great fear. There are different traditions that say that they would tie a rope around his ankle in case he died in the presence of God so they could pull his body out because nobody else could go in and get him. They said they would also put uh, little, little symbols or, or noisemakers in the hem of his garment so if he fell they could hear. There's all sorts of different historical traditions that are out there. But the truth of it was is that they were terrified of offending God Almighty. And so when they hear that you killed God's son, they are terrified. And so they call out, what shall we do? And many in the crowd listen. They listened to what was said. And at this moment, they went from unbelievers who probably yelled, crucify, 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 50 days before, to finally right now saying, Jesus is the Lord. In just a matter of seconds they knew that that, um, that moment that Jesus truly had been who he said he was, they wanted to know what they must do to be right with God. And here's where I want to pause for a second. This is so vitally important. A lot of people don't really study this in context. And we talked a lot about context. I encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message if you weren't here and able to hear it. And a lot of times people will believe in, in incorrect things 
And there's a, a philosophical idea about this. If you start with a faulty premise, you end up with a faulty conclusion. Have you ever heard that? Like, for example, if you say all birds can fly and penguins can't fly, so penguins aren't birds, you started off with a, a faulty premise, and so therefore you end up with a faulty conclusion because not all birds can fly. Right. There are some that are birds, but they cannot fly. And so you've got to start off with the right premise if you want to end up on the, the right conclusion. And there are a lot of people, and, and I'll be honest, I know that this is not always a popular teaching, but it's right from Scripture. A lot of people don't understand that, and they'll say that you're saved first and then you're baptized later after the fact. But the Scripture is really clear what we're getting ready to see here. And people will argue and they'll, they'll, they'll say, well, this Scripture works against that Scripture. But I'll tell you this, Scripture doesn't argue with Scripture. It does not argue with Scripture. If we see a Scripture verse or reference that seems to be different than another, we need to study and pull in other Scriptures to get to a point of understanding. And that's our goal, is to study and know God's Word dearly. Now, one of the reasons that sometimes can lead to people getting confused about this, I want to point out just a couple. Number one is that a lot of times people say, well, the Holy Spirit was poured out, and so that means that they were saved first, and then the baptism part comes later. But if you look at Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, which is what we're leading up to right until the moment the church begins, a lot of people don't understand the difference between the pouring out of the Holy Spirit versus the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, it happened a lot in the Old Testament. It even happened to people who were very, very wicked, like Saul and, and Samson, who did a lot of wicked things. The Spirit would come on them, they would do the task at hand, and the Spirit would leave. But even to good people it did that. Even to people like David, the Spirit would come on them and the Spirit would leave. Why? Because there's a big sin problem. And sins had not been paid for yet. And so the indwelling of the Holy Spirit could not take place. Now, also, uh, along that same line is this. A lot of people said, well, the apostles, evidently they have received the Holy Spirit. You know, the tongues fall on them, and so they must have been saved apart from baptism. But I would have just encouraged you this. Based on the Scripture, and that's what we want to be found in, correct? We can't say definitively that they were saved without baptism, and we can't say they were not saved without baptism, definitively. So what do we do? We look at other passages of Scripture to gain a better understanding. But let me say this. If we say that the apostles were saved at this point, because at the end of John, it says that he says he breathed on them and said, receive my spirit to the apostles, to the twelve. If we say, okay, maybe they were saved differently before the day of Pentecost and before the command was to be repent and be baptized, that would be okay because they're a special role, aren't they? They're the apostles. They are different. And so we can't just assume that we would be treated just like the apostles. They were the ones who were the ambassadors who when they spoke, it was like Jesus was speaking. And they were the ones who were entrusted to deliver the message of the new covenant. Think about what Jesus said to them in Matthew chapter 16. He said, when, after Peter said that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, he then said to them, he said, I give you the keys to the kingdom. 
And what you bind in heaven, or what you bind will have been bound in heaven, and what you loose will have been loosed in heaven. He told them, so what they deliver, what they share is God's message. And what does Peter, on behalf of the apostles, give as God's message when they said, what shall we do? Look at verse 38 with me. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the first response that we're told to have when the gospels preach for the very first time. When they said, we know, I mean, now this is my paraphrase, but you look at it and tell me if I'm, I'm reading in anything. They knew that at this point they were enemies of God, and they said, brothers, what shall we do? And his response on behalf of the 12, inspired by God, was repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is so key here. Because what we have to understand is you can't be in a right relationship with God, i.e. saved when you have your sin still on you. You cannot. When your sin is still attributed to your spiritual account, you cannot be saved. Now, don't misunderstand me. Am I saying that you have to be perfect? No. But your sin has to be atoned for, and you cannot be in right relationship with God while your sin is still applied to your spiritual account. And if, if, if it helps shine a little bit of light on you while I'm saying this, here's why. Think about the Garden of Eden. Once sin entered into the world and they took that, that uh, tree of knowledge of good and evil and they took part in that, they were guilty, they were ashamed, and what happened at that point? They had to be what? Thrown out of the presence of the garden. Why? Because they could not have access to the tree of life and could not live forever because they were now sinful. And so there had to be separation. And so if we have sin on our spiritual account, so to speak, if we are held guilty and haven't had our sins relinquished and, and, and moved away, then we are guilty and we are lost. But, <laughs> sometimes a but's good. They're lost for the moment. Because now they've heard what they need to do. They ask, what shall we do? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They were lost for the moment, but they've been offered the terms of pardon. But wait, there's more. Look at verse 39. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And man, I'm telling you, that to me is good news that everyone, this promise is for everyone, not just the people on the day of Pentecost, for all who are far off, everyone. So the question is, how do you and I respond and receive the promise of forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit? Think about it this way. How do I receive the promise of forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit? We have to assume the same way the first hearers did. Am I right? If that's the very first way that God said this is how, through his apostles, this is how you receive forgiveness because we need our debt paid, right? We cannot be in the presence of God for eternity when we have our sin on us. So if our, if our sin is on us, what do we do? 
And the Holy Spirit cannot dwell permanently in a person who's got their sin still applied to their spiritual account. Well, we would assume that we would respond the same way that they did. The same conditions would apply. We have to hear those conditions and we respond to those conditions on how to receive it. Repent and be baptized. Some of you might be thinking, well, what about faith? There's no doubt that they had faith, right? They were cut to the heart and they realized that they had killed the Son of God. And so they absolutely had faith in who Jesus was at that moment. They did not before, but at that moment they heard it and they're like, oh gosh, what do we do? I I believe in him. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. What do I do? They had faith. So once they have this faith and know who Jesus is, and once we have this faith and know who Jesus is, then we're told to repent, turn away from our life of sin, run away from sin, and run to God. Be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and the beauty of this is there's even more to this chapter I know I'm covering a lot but I want you to hear me the Holy Spirit really worked as an attention getter on this day of Pentecost and in the early church but the Holy Spirit is not just an attention getter am I right The Holy Spirit is not just an attention getter. And if you go on in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, you see this. I just skipped a whole lot. (laughs) I got excited. What I want you to hear is this. This might be a struggle for some of you. And I understand that and I respect that. You may have been taught very different, but we want to be true to Scripture, correct? Correct? And we only want to see what God's Word says. And a lot of people will ask the question, you know, what about, what about different things that people will tell you about how to be saved? People will say, all you have to do is just believe, just acknowledge the fact. Well, the, the Scripture says in James that demons believe who Jesus is, and they shudder. Simple belief is not enough, and we're never told that in Scripture. And then some people say, well, what about the term praying through? Or, or some people say, well, you raise your hand and that's how you are saved. That's how you become a Christian. And there's any number. They'll say the sinner's prayer. You know, repeat this prayer. And we don't find that in Scripture. So the question is, or the answer is, is what do we do? Here's my response that I heard from Dr. Johnny Presley, a great Bible scholar and preacher and teacher. He said, do you want the promise of salvation or do you want the probability of salvation? And that, that hit me. God is good, y'all. And he is judge and I am not. And so I trust him to make the right decision when it comes down to the day of judgment. I trust him to know, he knows people's hearts, I don't, he knows, but all I can do and all we can do is just teach the truth of scripture, amen? That's all we can do is teach the truth of Scripture. We're not allowed to go above and beyond and say, well, this might be okay. And the question is, would you rather have the promise of salvation or the probability of salvation? I don't know about y'all, but I want to take the promise that we see in Scripture to do what God says and what God alone says, not what other people say. And it goes on in verse 40 and gives some further context here. He says, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added to the day. uh, They were added that day about 3,000 souls. 
He goes on and says, look, save yourselves, be baptized. They were baptized. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And 3,000 responded. Verse 41, where it said, so, is literally the, the Greek word that's like, therefore. When you see a therefore in scripture, what's a good question to ask? What's the therefore? Therefore. And so, therefore, what is the therefore, therefore? He said, save yourselves. And their response was what? Be baptized into Christ. It's not a good work. It's where God says you'll receive forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if God says it, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to teach it. So 3,000 people were added to the Lord's church through baptism that day. And that's the beginning of the church. Explosive power. And as I said earlier, I got a little bit ahead of myself. That, you know, the, the idea is that the Holy Spirit is not just an attention getter. Look at Acts 42 beginning there. We're, we're getting close to the end, believe it or not. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Can I draw your attention to this part as we, as we kind of draw to a close here? The important thing to know is, is that the Holy Spirit is not just an attention getter. And maybe we aren't seeing the same kind of results as the early church because we're not devoting ourselves. We're not responding to God in the way he says to. And then we're not devoting ourselves to the things the early church did. And they saw day by day people being added to the Lord's church being saved. So how often are we doing the things that they do in Acts 2.42 in those following verses? Are we living in one another's lives, building off of each other and helping one another, selling our possessions as we need, spending time around tables together and knowing one another and holding one another and caring for one another and laughing with one another and crying with one another? Maybe then... When we do those things, we'll start to see people being added to the Lord's church every day. Jesus himself said in John 16, verse 7 and 8, he described the Holy Spirit as a helper. The Greek word is paraclete, not parakeet, paraclete. And it's the idea of advocate or, or counselor in terms of a lawyer who stands on our behalf or intercessor. And in verse 8, he says that the Spirit would come to convict in regards to sin and righteousness and judgment. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes that it's the Holy Spirit is a seal and a deposit to remind that he is coming back to get you. And so it's so important that the Holy Spirit that dwells in us when we're baptized in faith to convict us and protect us, to intercede on our behalf, to lead us to be more like Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit is so much for. And I believe if we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us to live more like the early church, I believe we'll see the kind of results We'll see the church unleashed. So what's holding you back? What's holding you back from being unleashed the way the early church was in your relationship with Jesus and his church? 
Are you accepting Jesus on his terms? I know for some of you here that might have been a kind of a gut punch. But I encourage you to spend time in God's word. Try your best to strip away everything that you've been told and taught and say, let's just look at God's word. And then respond how you need to respond. We'd love to help you walk through that. There's no shame in it. There's no, there's no need to worry or fear. It's just when you realize what you need to do, just do it. Just do it. Or maybe today you find yourself sitting here and you've fallen back to your old ways and you haven't been spending time with the church. Are you sharing radically your wealth? Are you sharing generously with the church? Are you sharing your time with the church? Are you meeting around tables with brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you devoted to the word of God, the apostles teaching with the church? Are you devoted to prayer for the God, kingdom of God to be unleashed? I just want to ask you to let the spirit convict you let the Spirit convict you on the step you need to take today. Wherever you may be, you're not alone. God's church, His kingdom, is ready to be unleashed. But it starts with you and me. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.